Amen. Let's talk about fear tonight. Anybody ever been scared? Anybody ever been fearful? Today at lunch we were talking, uh, we, we saw a lady that I know uh, who recently went on an airplane and got to fly, live out her life dream of flying. And uh, it, it got us to talking about the time that my wife and I um, decided to go on a, a flight with my brother-in-law who was a, a newly minted uh, pilot at the time. He had just gotten his pilot's license and he was going to fly us from Phoenix to Flagstaff in order to, you know, kind of show us around our new town that we were going to be moving to and starting a church there. And we thought, man, you know, what a cool way to visit the town. We're going to fly in it's into this beautiful mountain town. And all was going pretty well until we got uh, in the mountains uh, that, that lead up to Flagstaff. And as our elevation increased, the air thinned out, and there are thermals that come up uh, around the area of Sedona, Arizona, where it starts, you know, you start having the heat and the cold air mixing, and I want to tell you that we hit turbulence like we never hit before. I mean, anybody ever been in really bad turbulence on on an airplane? Well, that ain't nothing. <laughs> I saw you, Gail. That wasn't anything <laughs> compared to this. This was like turbulence. We were we were. It felt like we were riding a bucking bull. I didn't know whether to throw my hand up or throw both hands up and pray. You know, I, I didn't know if it was the rodeo. I didn't know what was going on because our heads were hitting. I, I didn't know how my brother-in-law was, was holding on to, uh, to the steering wheel. I, I, I thought, this is it. You know, Jesus, you know, try, send angels around our children because mom and dad ain't making it home. Jocelyn was curled up in the fetal position in the back. And, and we, so we turned the plane around after about two minutes of this. We had had enough and turned the plane around. We tried to go land in another little mountain town. We thought it would be easier uh, called Payson, and they have a little restaurant in the airport. Well, at least we could get some lunch before we head home. And we were about two minutes in, uh, uh, into our, our descent into Payson when the bottom fell out there, and we started hitting that turbulence again. And we said, you know what? God doesn't want us anywhere but in Phoenix. And we turned around and went back home. We were too scared to make the trip. My brother-in-law swore up and down that he probably could have landed it, but we weren't willing to see whether that would be the case. We've all been scared at some point, amen? We've all had fear. Whether you were a kid, uh, were a kid uh, afraid during a storm, uh, a teenager that's worried about a parent's marriage, uh, agonizing over losing a job that you think maybe your job is ending or you might lose your job. Uh, perhaps maybe you've been worried about the health of someone that you love. I remember when my mom was battling cancer, there's a fear that things won't go the way that you want them to go. Anybody ever experienced fear? Are we talking to anybody here tonight that's dealt with fear? I think fear is a part of the human experience. And um, defini uh, the definition of, uh, of fear, there are actually several. One is an emotion uh, experienced in anticipation of some specific pain or danger. I remember being a kid and my mama and daddy saying, when you get home, you're going to get a whooping. And I would beg them, no, please, let's go out to eat. I thought we could just prolong it and they might forget. Can we go by the store first? Can we do it? Can we take the long way home? Whatever we can do, because I was scared. I was anticipating some specific pain or danger. The second definition is to be afraid or scared of, to be frightened of, to be uneasy or apprehensive. And, and we've all, th these are characteristics and, and descriptions of 
ways that we have all felt. We've all been afraid or scared of something. We've all been frightened or uneasy or apprehensive. I remember one time we went to a corn maze around Halloween. And we didn't. it was when my wife and I were dating. And me and the other guy, we didn't tell them that it was a haunted corn maze. And so as we're walking up to the corn maze, this dude ran out in a mask with a, a chainsaw with no chain on it. And ripped that chainsaw. And, and the girls went running, screaming, and I died laughing. They, they had imminent fear. They were uneasy and apprehensive about it. We've all experienced fears. In fact, we are all born with two basic fears. The fear of falling and the fear of noise. Have you ever noticed a baby? If they think they're falling or if they, they hear a loud noise, they do the same motion. It, it doesn't take us long to start developing more fears. In fact, members of a psychology class interviewed 500 people, 500 people, and came up with a list of 7,000 fears for 500 people that had 7,000 different things that they were afraid of. And not all fears are rational. In fact, I found some fears that are unusual that I want to just share tonight before we get going a little little humor doesn't hurt us. There's one called nomophobia. Uh, nomophobia. It is a feeling of anxiety that arises from being out of a, phone range, uh, a phone's range or service or not having your phone charged. Anybody ever have nomophobia? <laughs> nomophobia is when you got nomo signal. <laughs> got nomo signal. And I can't call for help if I'm stuck, right? Nomophobia. The Wi-Fi is out. I'm fearful of that happening to me. There is a nemophobia, which is the fear of wind. People who suffer from it tend to be anxious outdoors and near open windows. Or husbands, um, you know, anything, anything that creates wind, right? Um, and so uh, there's anemophobia, uh, the fear of wind. There's spectrophobia, the fear of mirrors and one's own reflection. This might not be an irrational fear depending on who's looking in the mirror. <laughs> but some people are afraid of a mirror. They don't like a mirror. There is um, spectrophobia. That, that's the fear of mirrors. There is a tyrophobia. I'm sure I, I butchered that. But it is panic, dread, terror, or rapid heartbeat and shortness of breath when peanut butter is wedged on the roof of one's mouth. There's a fear for that. Somewhere there was someone in a clinic that says, don't forget the peanut butter one. <laughs> right? Anybody ever had that fear of just a dread of the peanut butter sticking to your mouth? I always thought it was the white bread, not the peanut butter. <laughs> There's probably another phobia for that. There is allodoxophobia, which is uh, used to define the fear of opinions. Scared of opinions. My Lord, how would you survive in this world if you're scared of opinions? Because everybody's got one. Someone said they're like belly buttons. Everyone's got one and they all stink. And then here's my favorite one. It's sesquipedalophobia. That is the fear of long words. What are we going to call it? We're going to call it sesquipedalophobia, the fear of long words. So every time they go into the psychologist's and the psychologist says, do you have any, any phobias? Well, yes. What do you have? I don't want to say it. <laughs> How traumatizing. You see, most of us are not struggling with these unusual fears. But life's most common fears are loss, 
Losing a spouse, a marriage, losing your child, losing your health, losing your job, losing control, losing friends. There is failure, the, uh, the fear of failure. I, maybe I won't measure up or maybe I can't keep up financially. Or what if I become a spiritual failure? There is the fear of rejection that I'll be left out again or maybe I'll never marry. Uh, maybe I'll never find someone who wants to live life with me. Uh, maybe my mar- I'm fearful that my uh, my marriage doesn't make it. I'm fearful of being rejected. Uh, there is the fear of the unknown, the unknown factors in my health. What if I'm sick? What if uh, anybody ever feel that way? Don't Google your symptoms. Do not Google your symptoms. I'll just save you the time of Googling your symptoms. You have cancer. <laughs> That's the only thing it points to. It's some kind of cancer. Like you can have a headache that's persistent for more than two hours. It said, um, in some extreme cases, may indicate cancer. So you will convince yourself of something that you don't have. But there, there's fear of the unknown. There's fear uh, of, of losing my job or, or uh, fear of, of being stuck in abuse. There, uh, fear of making good choices and um, bad choices. I just don't know. It's the fear of the unknown. And these are the fears that we really deal with on a day-to-day basis. Because somewhere in all of that, I probably touched on something that has uh, touched your life at some point or another. But here is the reality. is 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You may have fears in your life. And there may be points of anxiety and points... Um, that, that you're fearful about, but God didn't give it to you. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Fear is not from God. It's, it, it's not something that God ordained for our life. He doesn't want you to live in fear. God doesn't desire you to be bound by fear. God wants you to live in freedom. Some say that fear is the opposite of faith. But that's not really true. Because fear is faith. Fear is actually faith in the wrong things. That's what fear really is. Is It's not having any faith at all. It's not not having faith. It's having faith in all of the wrong things, right? If God is going to overcome, uh, empower us to help us overcome fear, we have to start by looking a little bit closer at what it really is. Because fear, first of all, is placing faith in the what ifs. Fear is placing faith in the what ifs. What if this doesn't work out? What if God doesn't come through? What if my marriage falls apart? What if my kids walk away from God and never come back? What if? Anybody ever ask those questions? What if? What if this conversation I need to have with my boss doesn't go well? What if? Fear is placing faith in the what ifs. And that's exactly what Moses did when God called him and asked him to go to Egypt on God's behalf. It's exactly what he did. Moses is standing at a burning bush, speaking with the eternal God about what God was calling him to do. God calls out from a burning bush and says, Moses, I've heard the cry of my people, and I want you to go and deliver them from Egypt. I want you to go stand before Pharaoh and tell him, let my 
people go. He's standing in front of a burning bush with the eternal God speaking through that bush about what God is calling him to do. I want you to get that picture because most of us have not experienced anything like that. The voice, audible voice of God, a visible theophany manifestation of God is telling Moses, Moses, I've called you to do this. You know what most of us would do? Like, man, I'm pretty special. Not Moses. Listen, having a spiritual encounter doesn't automatically dispel fear. Moses was having an encounter with the eternal God. But that doesn't automatically dispel our fears. You would think that someone in that setting would have wholeheartedly believed anything that God had said because the voice came from the burning bush. Not only that, but the bush knew his name because the bush was God. God is speaking from his eternal voice to Moses about his future. And and in Exodus 3, it goes down if you read through it. I'm not going to go through it all tonight. But God told Moses exactly what was going to unfold. How he was going to use him to deliver his people from Egypt from beginning to the end. God even gives them the answers to the question that Israel will ask Moses. He says, what will I say when they say, who sent you? And he says, tell them that the I am that I am sent you. He's given him the answers to the test before he ever takes the test. He lays it all out, including the fact that they will leave Egypt carrying the riches of their captors. And that's how Exodus 3 ends. He says, the ladies, the ladies of Israel will walk out with the gold and silver draping their bodies. They will carry it out, the riches of Egypt, on your back. I can't think of a happier ending for Moses to hear. God says, if you just go, all this stuff is going to happen. It's going to unfold. I'm going to use you. You're going to go. And listen to Exodus 4.1. Moses answered and said, what if... They don't believe me or listen to me. And what if they say the Lord didn't appear to you? What if? We know that Moses had fear. You see, the backstory of Moses is Moses had tried to be the Savior before. In fact, coincidentally, I was reading through Acts 7 this morning in my daily Bible reading where Stephen stood up and preached about the life of Moses and how that Moses uh, was used by God and that, that as a young man he was... He was guided and protected as just a baby and raised in the house of Pharaoh. And how uh, as a young man he was mighty in his deeds and in his knowledge. And he was a great leader in Egypt. And he thought that he would be seen as someone saving Israel when he intervened between uh, an Egyptian who was abusing a Jewish slave. He thought they will see me as, as, as their savior. They'll see me as helping them. But that's not how they saw him at all. In fact, the next day after Moses strikes down the Egyptian because he's abusing the Jewish servant, the next day he comes and he finds two Jewish brothers disputing. And because they're disputing, Moses intervenes and he says, Why are you fighting? You're brothers. You're not each other's enemy. You've got a world and an oppression that's upon you that you need to get rid of. Why are you fighting each other? And one of them is smart aleck. He's got the spirit of smart aleck all over him. Some of us struggle with that. I'll be the first to admit it. But he he smarts off to Moses and he says, Hey, Moses, what are you going to do? Kill us like you did the Egyptian yesterday? And all of a sudden, 
where Moses was confident, now he was fearful. Because he runs off into the wilderness. And for 40 years he's leading sheep. He's tending sheep. Not fulfilling his calling, his passion or purpose at all. He's run from his life. He is living a life of fear. And that's where God finds him and speaks out to him and says, Moses, I put that passion in you way back then for a purpose and for a reason. And now I'm calling you today to go and do it. To go and become it. And to go and rescue my people from Egypt. And Moses says, wait a minute, I've been here before. What if they don't believe me? What if they say the Lord didn't appear? Instead of placing faith in God's promise, Moses puts faith in the what if. What if they don't listen? What if they won't hear me? Moses has just heard how God intends to use him to deliver his people with mighty, a mighty hand and mighty acts. And Moses is caught up in the what if. Isn't this what we often do? Is we hear from God or we feel a leading of the Spirit and then we say, what if, what if, God, I know you want me to give that, but what if the economy drops? I know you want me to start a business, God, but what if, what if the economy goes bad? What if, Lord, I know you want me to do this, but what if I lose my health? Lord, what if I lose my job? What if my spouse cheats? What, what if I can't have kids? What if my child gets hurt, Lord? What, what about a car wreck, Lord? What if they get in a car wreck? What if I never marry her? What, what if I marry a jerk? Don't say amen. Nobody say amen to that. But what if? The what ifs, when we place faith in these what if scenarios, they can freeze us and lock us out of the purpose and the plan and the promises that God has for us. Because fear and faith can't really coexist is if I'm fearful, then I can't really do what God called me to do because I can't trust in God. So fear is focusing on the what ifs. Listen, when the angel met Mary, we're coming up on Christmas season, but when the, when the May, a, angel met Mary in Luke chapter 1 and appeared to her and told her that she would bear a child, the Bible tells us that she... Listen to this. Cast in her mind what manner of salutation this would be. Mary's response to the angel as she starts thinking through the scenarios. What if this angel just showed up to execute righteous judgment upon me? No, it's not that one. What, what, what if? What is he going to say to me? She begins to cast in her mind. Anybody ever do that? Anybody ever experienced that? We cast in our minds. We start trying to work out how everything is going to play out. You ever been in a conversation and started thinking about one thing uh, they said and stopped listening to the rest of what they said? Anybody ever do that? I'm bad about that because I, I can get stuck on one thing and, and my son or, or, or my, my child or my friend is still talking. I'm still thinking the thing they said five minutes ago. And I went on a tangent and I begin to cast in mind, well, what do they mean by that? Well, what are they talking about with that? Or, or, or it just takes me down a different trail. Anybody wave your hand at me just so I know you're alive on this Wednesday night? Amen. Making sure we're still here. She cast in her mind. God spoke to her, and what she starts doing is she stops listening to God and what God is saying. And she starts thinking about how the scenario is going to play out in her own thinking and in her own wisdom. She doesn't know whether it's going to be good or bad. She casts in her mind what manner of salutation 
this might be. And this is exactly what we do when God talks to us, is we get stuck on a point. God says, I want you to go talk to your neighbor about the Lord. And we get stuck and we say, but Lord, what if, what if they don't like it? God, what if I offend them? What if they think that, uh, that, that I'm, I'm some kind of religious nutcase? Lord, what if, if I show up with my Bible on their doorstep, what, what if they slam the door in my face? And what if I have a bad relationship with my neighbor the rest of my life? And, and what if they don't bake me a, 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 a Thanksgiving pie anymore? What, like, what if, what if, God? What if I look like a fool or an idiot? Anybody ever done that? You felt the Lord leading you to do something? You said, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if it doesn't happen the way that you said? And that's what Mary and Moses both did, is they stopped listening and started playing out the scenarios of fear in their head. Moses said, what if they don't believe me? What if I fail? What if they reject me like they did before? Because fear is placing faith in the what ifs. Now, why do our what ifs matter? Because, number one, what you fear the most reveals what you value the most. Have you ever noticed that it works that way? Anybody here own a safe? Just wave your hand if you own a safe. Give us the combination. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just call it out. <laughs> what do we put in our safe? The things that we value the most, right? Maybe it's a family heirloom. Maybe it's, maybe it's documents that you uh, are trying to protect from a fire. It's the things that you value that you hide away, Amen. And so what you fear the most reveals what you value the most. If you are afraid of losing your marriage, what do you value? You value your marriage. If you're worried about something happening to your child, it shows that you love and value your child. That's part of parenting. You don't want them to do things that will endanger them or hurt them because you love them. You value them, so you fear for them. I remember driving home the first night... uh, from the hospital with Jira in the back of the car. And we're on a highway that I thought was smooth before that. But that night I felt every bump. And every time the car went like that, I'm like, oh, Lord, she has a soft spot. Don't let it hit her in the soft spot. I don't want to get home. My baby girl will be brain damaged because I didn't drive right on the way home from the hospital. I was scared to death holding her, like just frozen. You know, looked like a deer in the headlights. Like, don't want to drop her. Anybody remember that feeling of being a first parent? Now that you have the last kid and you like sling them on the floor when you get home, like, I'm going to take a nap. I'll see you later. <laughs> Why? Because we, we value and we fear, what we fear most reveals what we value the most. We keep the things that we value hidden away and safe. We, we try to keep them because we're fearful. Uh, we keep them behind locked doors. Anybody have a lock on your door at home that tonight you're going to lock? It's because you value the stuff inside and you're fearful that somebody else will take what you value. Right? We have locks on our doors and, and we keep things hidden away because of their value. We fear losing them because we love them. But listen, what we fear the most doesn't just reveal what we value the most. But what you fear the most reveals where you trust God the least. Let it sink in for a minute. That what I fear the most reveals where I trust God the least. If I'm afraid of losing my marriage, 
it probably means that I, I really don't trust God with my marriage. I'm afraid that something will happen to my child. Listen, if you lay awake fearful that your child will get cancer or fearful that your child will be hurt or fearful that something terrible will come upon them, it's probably because you don't and you're not trusting God with your children. There's got to be some level of trust that I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Right? There's got to be a level of trust at some point. Because we are terrified of, having, uh, of not having enough at times. And what that means is when we get fearful that, Lord, I feel like I need to work instead of give to your kingdom and put my time and energy and effort in. And we become a workaholic because we fear not having enough. What we're really saying is, God, I don't trust you to be my provider. What we fear reveals what we value. And what we fear reveals the areas where we might be struggling with God to trust in Him. And I want to encourage you to be honest for a moment tonight and truthfully acknowledge where, uh, uh, where the fear in the what if is stronger than your faith in God. I want, I want you to take a moment and think. What do you worry about the most? What are the things that eat at you in life? Is it okay if I'm transparent? For a long time, mine has been, I worry that my life won't make a difference. And you know what that means? It means I struggle to trust God with my ministry. Because I want to I make it all happen and I want to make it all come to pass. But at some point, you've got to lay it in God's hands and say, Lord, I just trust you that it's all going to be okay. That it's all going to be all right. That it's all going to shake out in your will and in your purpose. We are driven by these what ifs. Lord, what if it doesn't work out? And what if it doesn't happen this way? And listen, what we worry about reveals our fear. You know what worry really is? Is worry is meditation on the negative things. It is faith in the what if. That's what worry is. Meditation is when we, when we think about something over and over again, right? When I meditate on the word. Say I'm meditating on Psalm 23. And the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I might meditate and think for a while, the Lord is my shepherd. What does that mean? Uh, what does that in, uh, entail in my life? How does, how does he show up as a shepherd? Anybody ever notice when you're worried about something, you'll look at it from every single angle? You will study out every scenario. You'll talk it through. You'll call your friend up on the phone and you'll discuss the same thing over and over for hours because you're worried about it. Worry is meditation on the what if. And so I want you to, on your paper, this is just for you, but I, I want you to write down something that you're struggling to trust God with. I am not trusting God with blank, with whatever it might be. I'm not trusting God with that because I'm constantly worried about it. I'm constantly frustrated about it. I'm constantly thinking about it and wishing and hoping that it were different and, and really not trusting that it's all going to work out. And Now, I know what you're thinking, but what about people? See, that's, that's where fear gets us, is we think that we trust God, but we put more power in people and in Satan than he deserves, right? Lord, I believe that you have the best will for me, but what if people don't comply? 
And that is exactly what Moses said. God said, here is my incredibly awesome will for you. You will be known throughout the rest of humanity. You will usher in a new era of covenant and bring God's people into the promised land. Moses, you're going to do miracles. You're going to split seas. You're uh, going to walk through on dry land. Moses, you're going to lead the people of God through the wilderness. And Moses, you're going to eat of manna and you're going to call down quail and you're going to strike a rock and water's going to flow out. And Moses says, but what about the people? These people are crazy. Have you seen them? See, we trust God in our own mind, but what we, we start calculating in other factors that bring us to a point of fear. And the thing that we really worry about is the thing that we're not trusting God with. Because Moses wasn't trusting God with the outcome of his ministry. God's called him to this ministry, and Moses isn't trusting him with it. He's saying, God, what if they don't? What if they don't believe me? What if they reject me? So maybe for you tonight, whatever fills that blank is I'm not trusting God with my children. I'm just scared about my children. I'm scared about my future. I fear that my health will one day take a turn for the worse. I fear um, for someone that I love or I fear about my aging parents or, or, or whatever it may be. And I want to give you a moment to name it if you haven't already named it because you cannot defeat what you cannot define. How do you overcome fear? Is you've got to speak what it is. You've got to speak it out and make it known and define it. You've got to give it a name and write it down. When David stood before Goliath, he stood up and he was not fearful anymore. He, he stood face to face with it and called out to it. And that's what we've really got to do to overcome our fears. Is first we have to identify what it is we're really struggling to trust God with. So how do we overcome our deepest fears? First, acknowledge your fear. Somebody say, acknowledge your fear. And choose to trust God anyways. I know this is simple, but it's powerful. If you will acknowledge your fears and choose to trust God anyways. If you'll say, God, I don't know why, but I'm scared that my kids are not going to make it. That their life is not going to turn out to be what it should be. God, I'm, I'm afraid of that. But I'm trusting you with it anyway. It takes the power away from fear when we name it, acknowledge it, and we choose to trust God anyway. In other words, you're not going to close your eyes and put your fingers over your ears and say, this isn't happening to me. There's no chance of this. You are going to tell the truth. I'm nervous that this is going to happen. This is heavy on my heart. I'm afraid that it's not going to work out. I'm worried that things won't turn out like I feel like they should. Lord, I'm too invested in this and I don't want to see it go south. I am, I am acknowledging what I fear. But I'm also, at the same time, with eyes wide open, knowing the situation, knowing the circumstance, knowing the impossibility, knowing the odds, I'm saying I choose to trust God anyway. I'm choosing to trust Him anyways. I know it looks like my kids are straying far away and I'm like the prodigal parent at, at home and I'm just waiting for them to come and it looks worse and worse every day I see it, God, and I'm afraid of it, but I'm not going to give in to fear. I'm going to trust you anyways. I fear that I'll never get back the territory that I gave up. 
I fear that the relationship will never be repaired. But God, I see how bad it is. I see the thing that I'm afraid of and I acknowledge it. But I say I choose to trust you anyway. I choose to trust him. This is exactly what David did in the Old Testament. Before David was king, Saul was jealous of all the attention David was getting. You know, David became a hero when he slayed the giant. And they begin to sing songs about him. Um, think about this, if you're Saul. David has killed his 10,000. He, he hadn't killed 10,000. He killed one. He did one thing. And Saul has been the king for years, leading them into battle. And he hears the people singing, David has killed his 10,000. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his 10,000. They were ascribing this total victory over the Philistines to David and not to Saul. And Saul grew jealous in his spirit and fearful for his throne. And, and so Saul tried to kill David. We know the scriptures where he threw the spear at him. And he set people out to search him down. And David became a man on the run. 1 Samuel 21.10 says, David arose and fled that day, listen, for fear of Saul. And he goes to Asius, the king of Goth. This is the Philistine king. And David runs from Saul, a king who's trying to kill him. The man who brought him into the courtroom in the first place. And now he's run over to the Philistines, escaping for his life because he's afraid of Saul. And the servants of Asia said unto him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? And David these words in his heart. And he was sore afraid of Asius, the king of God. You know what that means? Is David hears what they're saying. And he takes it to heart. Anybody ever done that? You overheard a conversation you weren't supposed to hear. You heard somebody say something about you. Who does he think he is? Or who does she think she is? And David laid these words in his heart. Let me tell you, that's where it starts. Is when you let the wrong stuff get into your heart. That's where fear is born. Is David hears what they're saying, and, and, and he lays these words up in his heart, and he's sore afraid now of Asius, the king of God. He thought this would be a safe place, but what if they kill me? What if they hang me out to dry? They know that I'm anointed to be the next king. They know that Saul has driven me away, and so now David is afraid of Saul, and he's afraid of this king too. And so David changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. He started acting crazy. He was doing anything and everything he could think of to get out of the situation. He was trying to slowly back out of the room, acting crazy before he disappeared into the night to find a place of safety, right? David, scared to death that they're going to kill him. This is the same man who faced a giant, Without fear. This is the same man who faced the lion and the bear. This is the same man who is a mighty warrior at a young age. But now he's afraid. And so he runs from Saul. And then he acts crazy for, in front of the Philistines. And, and, and this is David's moment of fear. He's terrified. But Psalm 56 was written at this time. And David chose even when he was afraid. To put his faith in God. Psalm 56 verse 4 says, In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, 
and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do unto me? In God, I have put my trust. David's afraid. He's admitted he's afraid. He says, I, I'm afraid, but in God, I, I have put my trust, and I will not fear, because what can flesh do to me? You know what flesh can do to him? You know what the Philistines can do to him? They can kill him. That's what they can do. They can put him in prison. They can treat him like Samson when the Philistines plucked his eyes out and made him serve the rest of his days as a trophy. They can put his head on a pike. But David grabs a hold of something here in this moment of fear in his life. He asks, what can mere mortals do to me? And if they're honest, they can kill him. They can hurt him, right? But here's what happened. David shifted his perspective from an earthly perspective to an eternal perspective. And sure, they can do something to me now. Sure, they can do something to me now. But if God is really on the throne... And if God is who He says He is, and if the anointing means what the anointing means, then what can they really do to me? Because God said I would be king. And David shifts his perspective from what man can do to what God can do. He says, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. And I'm not afraid. I don't trust in my own abilities. I don't trust in my history of doing battle with lions and bears. I don't trust the reputation of being a giant killer. He says, no, I'm not trusting in me. I realize that I'm not enough for this. But in God, I put my trust. In God, I put my trust. And I will not fear. I am not afraid. I'm not afraid. My God is still on the throne, and His will will still be done. And so what do we do? We acknowledge our fear, but we choose to trust God anyways. Listen, don't make the mistake of trying to act like you're not afraid, like you're not scared, like you're not worried. Anybody ever tried that? You try acting like it doesn't exist? You want to you wanna find strength in the time of fear? Admit that you're afraid. But choose to trust God anyways. And tell God that. Lord, I'm afraid, but I'm trusting in you. And I'm counting on you, God. And I'm not looking to the left hand or to the right hand, God. I'm not looking to Saul to change his mind or the king of God to change. Lord, in God I trust. Not in man. In God I trust. And I'm not afraid. So we acknowledge our fear and choose to trust God anyways. And then we seek God until he takes away our fears. This is exactly what David did. The man who had truly had a lot to fear on earth grew so close to God that God removed his fear. This is what David wrote. You can feel the power of his faith in Psalm 34, 4. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. David says, I sought him and he answered me and he delivered me from all of my fears. This was the time when David thought that it was all coming to an end, that it was the, the story was being sewn up. And he said, But in the middle of all that, I sought the Lord, and He heard me, and He delivered me from all of my fears. Anybody ever been in a situation where you were afraid and you sought the Lord? I want to tell you, I know I only got a couple of minutes left, but it was a little over three years ago now. Ryland, or actually four, Ryland's about to be four in this coming month. That 
right here in this town, it was on Mother's Day, my mother-in-law and I and Jocelyn went to eat at Portico. And Jocelyn was about, I want, I want to say, six months pregnant. And in the middle of Mother's Day dinner, all of a sudden she started to bleed profusely. She was pregnant, started to bleed. And I mean, I, I don't mean to be grotesque, but like blood on the floor. I was, I was embarrassed and trying to clean it up and overwhelmed with emotion. I didn't know what was going on. And quickly I, I grabbed Jocelyn and we went to the ER. And we were sure, we were certain that this was the end for Ryland. That, that this was a miscarriage and that we would never hold this baby or see this baby born. We, we thought it was over. I remember so clearly that day. We didn't know what we would do. Didn't know how we would handle it, where to go. And in the hospital room, I remember it was just Jocelyn and I there. The doctors had walked out. We were waiting on a sonographer to come and, and take a sonogram to see if, if the baby was still viable. And it was in the hospital room that we grabbed hands and we prayed and we sought the Lord. And we said, Lord, we don't know what is going on here. And we know it doesn't look good, but God, you're the God who can speak life. And you're the God who can preserve life. And we put our baby in your hands. And I remember when we prayed that, we prayed it together. And we said, Lord, we don't know. And that we're, this is scary, God. But God, we trust you with it. And Lord, we speak life, and we sought God for life. And I will never forget that moment. The, the sonographer came along and, and took us to the room where she would do the sonogram. And I'll never forget the moment that she turned the screen towards us as we're waiting in anticipation. And she said, I can't believe it, but everything looks all right. The heartbeat is normal. The baby is normal. Everything is good. The, everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. And I remember my wife just broke down in tears. Why? It wasn't because we were brave Christians who were not afraid. We were scared to death that we were going to lose him. But we sought the Lord. And he heard us. And he delivered us from all of our fears. After that, she bled again. But you know what? We weren't afraid because we knew everything is going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay. We sought the Lord and he delivered us from our fears. David said, I sought God when I was in trouble, when I was scared, when I was afraid. I sought God and he heard me from heaven and he delivered me from all of my fears. Listen, when you seek God, God can bring you out of fear. God can bring you out of anxiety. God can bring you out of the thing that's troubling you. Because our God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I close with the, the story of the disciples. I love this story. Mark chapter 4, Mark, the first few chapters of Mark is unbelievable. It just ramps right up into the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus is doing stuff left and right. He's throwing out miracles like buggy whips. I mean, he's, he's feeding the 5,000. He's opening blind eyes. He's doing all of this stuff. And the Bible says after he feeds the 5,000, he goes up in a uh, uh, mountain and pray and, and, and all this stuff. And, and, um, uh, or pardon me, I'm getting my, my stories mixed up. He takes the disciples into a boat. And he's tired, so he lays down to rest. And they're, they're going across the Sea of Galilee. And there comes a storm, a tempest upon them. A great windstorm arose, the Bible says, and the waves are breaking into the boat so that the boat's already filling. They, they've just come from a miraculous scene, and now Jesus is in the boat with them, but they see the winds and the waves, and they get scared. I mean, they thought it was over. And they, they can see no way out, no way through. 
Some of them are lifelong sailors, and they're scared too. They see no way out of this storm. They just couldn't see how they could get through this. And, and they, they go to the back of the boat, and they wake Jesus up and ask him, Master, Master, don't you care that we are all about to die? Don't you care that we're perishing here? They had faith in the winds and in the waves and questioned whether Jesus cared what was happening. And look, that's what fear will do to us. It makes the thing that we fear seem more powerful than the one who can save us. And it makes the one who can save us seem as if he does not care. Anybody ever prayed that when you were afraid? Like, Lord, don't you care about this? Don't you see that we're perishing? Master, don't you care? We're your homeboys. (laughs) We're your people. We're your disciples. Don't you care that we're going to die in this storm and everything, all the the great works and great followings, it's all going to be done for nothing. We're going to die here. Don't you care? This is what fear does. He was in the stern, the scripture says, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he gets up out of a dead sleep. Listen, that's how powerful Jesus was. He didn't even need time to acclimate himself. He gets up out of a deep sleep. And he stands up and rebukes the winds and the waves. And he says, quiet, peace, be still. And immediately the wind dies down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you still have fear plaguing your life? What Jesus was really saying is, weren't you just there when I fed the 5,000 because I had compassion on them that they were hungry? Weren't you there when I opened the blind eyes when Bartimaeus called out my name? Weren't you there? Don't, he said, why are you so afraid? Don't you have faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Here is the problem, is the reason they were so fearful is they forgot who they were in the storm with. They forgot who was on the boat with them. How do you overcome fear? You acknowledge your fear, you give them a name, you choose to trust God anyways, and you seek God until He takes away your fear. You remember who it is that's in the boat with you. You remember that you can cast all of your cares on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. You remember that He laid down His life for you because He loves you without end. You, 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 you don't fear because of who He is and what He can do. And they forgot who was on the boat. Listen, it doesn't mean that we need to seek God until He fixes the issue. That's not what David said. He said, I sought the Lord and He delivered me from all of my fears. Deliver me from all of my fears. What we really need is to take our faith off of circumstances and put them on Jesus. Because He will either bring you out of the storm or He will bring you through the storm. He'll either deliver you and change the circumstance or He'll give you what it takes to make it through. But what we have to learn is who is in the boat with me. 
Who, who have I linked up with? When I chose to follow Jesus, when I went down in the waters of baptism, whose name did I take on? I took on the name of a promise keeper. I took on the name of somebody who can defeat the grave, who, who overcame death, hell, and the grave. I, I, I linked up with somebody who overcame. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And I can't think of a better scripture to end on for the series of Overcomer. Because when we're afraid, we need to remember who it is that we linked up with when we came to Jesus. Is we linked up with the ultimate overcomer. And if he overcame the world, he said, be of good cheer. When you're in tribulation, it's going to come. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You're going to make it through this. You're going to overcome this. You're going to be all right. You've linked up with me. And so everything's going to be okay. I've just got to remember who I'm in the boat with. I want us to stand as we come to a close. David said, Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat of my flesh, they stumbled and they fell. David starts remembering. He's brought me through before. This is who I'm linked up with. Though a host should encamp against me. He said, this is in the future. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble He will hide me in His pavilion and the secret of His tabernacle shall He hide me and He shall set me upon a rock. And then in verse 13 He says, I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. This is David's final words to you in the closing parts of this series. Is don't give up. Don't give in to fear. Don't let fear have power over you. But remember who it is you've linked up with. Remember how he's brought you through before. And hold on to the promise of what he's bringing you to. David said, this thing I'm confident in. One thing have I desired of the Lord. To dwell in his house and inquire of his temple. Do you know that that was a house that was not yet built? That God had put it in David's heart to build? What David was saying, the reason I'm confident is because I still have a promise. I still have a purpose. I still have a calling. And so I'm not going to let fear talk me out of walking with the one who's going to deliver me into everything that he called me to be and to do. Amen. Would you lift your hands and let's pray together. I want our ushers to go ahead and come while we're praying. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. I pray over each and every soul in this building that they would overcome the anxiety of fear, God. That they would overcome the, uh, the face of fear that rears its ugly head in their life, God. I pray right now, God, that you would help people who are suffering from anxiety, God. That you would lift all the worry and the concern and the racing thoughts off of them, Lord. Help us to acknowledge our fear to trust you anyways, Lord. And help us to seek you until you deliver us from all of our fears, God. We're going to trust you. We're going to believe in you. And we're going to claim it in Jesus' name.